Yes, it sounds great to me. Um, oh, great. Nice to meet you. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you as well. And my co-host, Molly, is just coming. She runs a neat group for um, middle school girls to teach oh, what them how is to that? Like, It's called Girls on the Run. So actually, wow. it's, it's fifth grade, but um, she teaches them how to run a 5K. <laughs> wow, that's great. I know. So she's like, I'll be right over. But we're really excited <laughs> to talk to you. Oh, that's so great. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, you both, because I have been watching you with the Molly Bish um, interviews. And I, you know, we remember that so well when she went missing. I mean, we were on a on our way to a vacation and um, we couldn't believe it. We felt horrible going on vacation knowing this young girl was missing. It was awful. Yeah, I remember it so vividly as well. And so I couldn't believe how much her sister was able to like just rehash the story again and again. Yeah, I think that's the thing when you when you have a truth inside you as they've had to live their whole lives. It's the same story over and over. It doesn't get any easier to tell, I would imagine. You know, it's all still there. Yeah, I feel that. Um, and she, the most interesting part, I think, was someone said, what are you going to do if you find this guy? And she was like, I don't even know. I don't know who I'll be. Hi, Molly. Hi, Molly. How are you? <laughs> you two are a pretty dynamic duo. I, I oh, love the chemistry you. that you have. Yeah, right. we started it. Gosh, it's more than two years now. Yeah. Right? Um, wow. But mostly like because there weren't a lot of women's voices on the radio mm -hmm. and that drove right. us nuts. So I almost got um, waylaid by Sarah's, thank you, by Sarah's puppy. I heard him accosting <laughs> you out in the hall. I was like, oh, geez. well, he does this thing when he's really excited where he'll just be like, oh, oh. And he's like, can't control himself. He's just so excited. He talks. He's, yeah. yeah. Do you have any pets? We have had four dogs for years wow. we are just now down to zero animals but oh. uh, we had two german shepherds we had our german shepherd and our son's german shepherd when he was in the service nice. and i had two pomeranians that thought they're german shepherds <laughs> So we love, oh, we love, love our dogs. Pollen. And I keep trying to talk pollen to letting me get another dog, but he's not, he's not having it right now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you're kind of busy, so. Oh, my God. I know. It, it doesn't end. It really doesn't end. I guess I would love to start your story. I love the mental image that you were a waitress, right, at a gas station or oh, something. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you would leave school early every day because you were employed uh, that way. Yeah. And now here you are working with a nuclear physicist. Right. And you were like, I barely graduated crazy. high school, but you're clearly a brilliant, remarkable woman. So can you start from the uh, beginning? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Yeah. Oh, I love that. You're asking me about that. Worcester. I grew up in Worcester. My father was an icon in the city. My father was Johnny D. And he managed the Poli Palace for 30 years. He was a very gregarious man, a loving man, and a complicated man. And my mom grew up in Shrewsbury. My father was all Italian. My mother was all Irish. And she was a candy girl at a, a theater in Worcester. 
and he saw her and um, I guess they they hit it off or something like that. It was very complicated, I'll tell you, because um, my father lived a life almost like, I won't say the godfather, but, but more like Goodfellas, because in those days, he was very close with the Abudis, who were just very, you know, loved my father and my father would bring the movie stars after after the shows, he'd bring up Dustin Hoffman um, or after um, after the Godfather, he brought up Al Pacino. The Abudis (laughs) ran the iconic restaurant, the El Morocco, right? That's so great. That's so cool. I'm imagining too, it's like, it reminds me like when you said Goodfellas too, of like the Copa scene, right? When when he takes her in there and she's like, what is this world, right? (laughs) Like kind of a rooster version of that, right? Totally. That was my mother because truly my mother grew up. This is the craziest thing. It's going to sound so crazy. My mother's father left when she was a little, little girl. And my mother's mother was the domestic the spag. My mother grew up in Spag's household. Spag gave her away. They were married at St. John's Cathedral over there on, is it Chatham Street? I think it is. The cathedral is over there on Chatham Street. So yeah, so they had a very difficult marriage and that my father was a womanizer and my mother, you know, he was a beautiful man he loved everybody. He'd have the homeless people of Worcester would actually come into his theater after a show started. It was just men back in those days would come and sit at the back of the theater. And my father would treat everybody with the utmost respect. You know, these men, disheveled men would come in and my father would get them an envelope full of popcorn and let them sit in his warm movie theater. And then before the movie got out, they would leave the movie theater. Mm -hmm. So the Hanover has a award they give out. It's called the Johnny D Award because my father was really an Mm -hmm. icon in the city that tried desperately to elevate events in the city. Was it that movie theater that was like in the current Hanover space? It's in the Hanover yeah, now. Good, yes. yes. Oh, I saw yeah. a couple movies there. Even like when I was a kid, it was like, you know, on its last legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So that's where I grew up was in that, um, in the movie yeah. house downtown. And then my father worked in City Hall. And Paul and I went to Burncoat Senior High School. Paul transferred from Reed Street. And so he went to just one year at Burncoat. Mm-hmm. Junior, but I did all my years at Burncoat Junior. But my mother was also very inspirational. She had uh, she had to overcome alcoholism, mm-hmm. and in those days, and she was treated with electroshock therapy mm-hmm. at St. Vincent's Hospital. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. St. Vincent's Hospital, I was very young. She had multiple suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. So it was difficult for my father to be this icon while he had a wife who was clearly suffering. It's like, it's almost like, like the Kennedys, like. Isn't it? Totally. It really is. Now, when my mother got well, 
finally, in 1969, I was nine years old when he, she had her second suicide attempt. And she finally got well in 1969. And um, she was one of the first women to um, speak at Faith House, which is on Burncoat Street. It's a um, shelter, but it started out as a home for alcoholic women. And it's been in existence for years. My mother went on to sponsor over 300 women wow. in the city of Worcester. Yeah. So she's a hero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My father's an icon, but she's a hero. Yeah. And they're, they're both gone now, which is why I feel like I can speak freely because mm-hmm. I could never speak about them when they were alive like this. But through that, Paul and I met when I was, um, I think I was 17 and he was, I think I was 16 and he was 17. And just like the story says in Men's Health, he drove up in his baby blue cap (laughs) and he smiled at me. And he was, you know, it was just the most handsome guy I'd ever seen. It was literally, literally, I did see stars. I saw stars. I know it sounds crazy, but I'll tell you a funny story. But they didn't say. So he, he, I'm with my girlfriend and he's, it's 1977 or something, you know, um, Peter Frampton and all that. And he's driving his dad's Cadillac. And sure enough, I spot him and I say, say to my girlfriend, do you know who that is? And she says, yeah, that's Paul Carter. I says, what's the story? And she says, oh yeah, he's fine. You know, blah, blah, Burncoat Street, blah, blah. And I said, Burncoat Street, how do I not know him? Sure enough, we go, we follow them down to Lincoln Plaza. He's got five guys in the car with him. My girlfriend pulls up in her station wagon. He turns around, he says to he says to everybody, everybody out now. <laughs> All of this, it really is like a movie. Like I know it's great. It's oh. crazy. Oh, so, anyways. So. Going into it with that context though, I feel like it's it's so local, but it's such a story, you know, and so being able to then look at like where you're what you two are now and like what you're doing, like why we're talking. Yeah, right. You've it's got really incredible. Eight page spread in Men's Health magazine. Yeah. That's a huge deal. Yeah. Right? And other moves in the works. Yeah. It's like to know that you came from the same place that we did is really important to us. Yeah. My mom graduated <laughs> oh, from Burnham. Mm-hmm. I love it. Paul's parents, uh, Paul's mom still lives on Kenwood Ave. Oh, yeah. I'll keep my eyes peeled yeah. on the way to work. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see her. She's 97. She's still driving. Oh, my God. I love it. So what did it mean to be a firefighter's wife in Worcester for the last 40 years, you know? So it, it, I love that question because when Paul came on, our son was two months old and our daughter was almost three years old and uh, um, just over two years old, I'm sorry. And, you know, we were just so in love with the idea of him being a firefighter. You know, I love the way he looked in the uniform and, you know, I love the camaraderie that he had. And right away, we started to work, not work, but to associate with the families of the fire department. Um, His his longtime partner, Kenny Dion, was Paul's partner for 18 years on the on the rescue squad. And we did everything with them. We vacationed 
together. We went out to eat together. We, you know, had parties together. We really, you know, we were at each other's weddings, baptisms, everything is together. And then, of course, December 3rd happened. And that was such a tragedy and such a tragedy because Paul was scheduled to work that night, but he had had a sailing fall in on him three weeks prior at a bar room uh, on Webster Street or Webster Square. So he didn't go into work. He was out injured on duty and his friend filled in for him. And his friend was Craig Boisvert. And Craig Boisvert uh, was an engine guy. So Paul's a rescue guy. Mm-hmm. So while Craig's there, I guess, a rescue guy says, well, I'll, I'll sit on the rescue for you because, you know, that's how it works. A rescue guy would rather work on the rescue. And it was Jerry Lucy. And Jerry was killed in the fire. And, um, you know, that night was... I remember Paul calling me and saying, oh, my God, Diane, six, we've lost six. Mm. And Paul um, was best friends with Timmy Jackson's brother, David. And I know that Paul uh, immediately went to David's house at like one o'clock in the morning. And Paul could see that they weren't aware yet that they had lost Timmy And he ended up calling and telling them that, you know, they couldn't find Timmy. So, yeah. And then, um, of course, the events after were just so moving. Our house was opened up. We had firefighters from Alaska, Florida that, you know, slept in cots in our front room and we in the house was open and my church group from Paxton was coming over with sandwiches and food and just feeding everybody they could and you know we had the great team of Frank Rafa and um Donnie I forget Donnie's last name he was the vice president of the union Frank Rafa was the union of the president of the 1009 at that time and of course, then we um, we lived through it again when we had um, we lost John Davies mm-hmm. in the Arlington Street fire. Another great friend of Paul's and Brian from the rescue was Paul's partner for ten for ten years, and then Paul was removed from the rescue squad for an incident that occurred. Um, the incident was that I was approached by a captain who said some things to me at a gym. And I then told my husband and my husband approached this captain and didn't go well. Well, I'm so glad that you're willing to speak up because there's so many people within these strong institutions and unions who aren't. And so it's okay, yeah. right, yeah. to be the noisy one because you changed the trajectory for so many other women and so many other people. Absolutely. I think that that might really might have been the first time that I saw an institution. I did not go to college. Mm-hmm. I had a very small world, very, and I loved it. My world was so tiny. I had grown up with a lot of trauma and a lot of drama, 
So I was very comfortable in a shell about that big. You know, I liked no one knowing me. I liked no one knowing anything about me. And then this incident happened and it was um, was a pretty big deal. And Paul was disciplined as well as well as was the union president, Frank Rafa, was also disciplined. And I can remember I was called into City Hall to give my statement because I thought that there was going to be something that was going to be done for me. There was never an apology. <laughs> there was never anything that came my way mm-hmm. other than Paul was disciplined. So by Paul being taken off of the rescue, uh, it opened up a spot for John Davies to be on the rescue. And John succumbed in a fire. And at that fire, we, again, stayed very close to the fire department. We were used to having 200 firefighters in our house at a time because we always threw a huge Christmas party every year. It was legendary. (laughs) And the fire department really insulated Paul's partner, Brian Carroll. And we did as well. And his wife, Kim, who was one of my closest friends. And then Paul stayed on the rescue, was when after John Davies died, Brian Carroll said the only way that he'd come back to the rescue is if Paul was his partner again. And so he got Paul as his partner and Paul was back on the rescue. And then Paul took a, an exam to be a lieutenant because he's now almost 28 years into the job. And he's got to think about, you know, retiring at 65. You have to retire on the job. He was 55, so he thought he'd be 10 years as an officer. And um, he took the exam to be a lieutenant, and he passed. And he was so bummed that he passed. I read that. But uh, his face fell. He's like, (laughs) And I was like, I always remember, I read that, and I was like, that's kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he then um, had a great ceremony in City Hall, and he had had some cataract work. He was going to get some cataract work done. And that's when he had his first blood work done for a pre-op surgery. And that showed the PSA or the prostate-specific antigen was up by a hair, just a hair, not even a full point. But his nurse practitioner said, I want you to get a biopsy, Paul. So he did, and it came back. He was on the Gleason score of one to 10, he was a seven. So that that meant that he had an aggressive form of prostate cancer, but it was all encapsulated in the prostate gland. It hadn't escaped and gotten out of the prostate gland. And no Thank God, in the family of cancer? Nothing, nothing. He's half Irish, half Armenian, and he's got a slew of cousins, male friends, not nobody's, not his brothers. He's got two brothers, younger brothers. Nobody's got prostate cancer. And this is a cancer and, that generally is off, or often is hereditary, right? Like yes, normally when, yes. I guess typically when you see it, it's something that, right. yeah, a weird situation. Absolutely. It that, is. That, that in itself is weird. Right, was that like... 
or was there, no. I guess we'll get to it. <laughs> no, yeah, because I didn't like know a, anything about this. Right. Nothing. It's probably also, so, you're so emotional too. So emotional. The day we found out we were both a wreck. We were both a wreck. You know, he has Hercules, you know, now he's takes off. We were in the doctor's office and he, we're told it's cancer. And, you know, when you're a firefighter and you hear the word cancer, you immediately think terminal. It's just one of those things that you just think is not good <laughs> because so many firefighters get cancer, you well, know? It's now the number one cause of death for firefighters, correct? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It surpassed heart disease. Wow. And that's what we found fascinating was that it surpassed heart disease. So I'm not a firefighter cancer expert, but the people that are say to me, Diane, there's like a common denominator here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we really have to look and see if it is the known carcinogen that Dr. Peasley found in the gear. Then this when Paul, after the surgery and after the realization came that he wasn't able to return to work because of the effects of the prostate surgery, he's cancer free, but the prostate surgery itself can leave you with conditions that, you know, if you have stress incontinence, mm-hmm. you just cannot do the job of a firefighter. At, at any event, I then began researching and came across this information about a um, 1999 safety recall by the labor union, the IAFF. And what shocked me was that the manufacturers were like, oh, hell no, we're not recalling our stuff. And I'm like, wait, what? And then I started to research the material that gave me some kind of like yuck vibe. And then I started to research the material of the turnout gear. So material like Kevlar and Nomex. Mm-hmm. Now I find there's a firefighter from 2006 that was scalded. He was scalded and then died from those steam burns because his gear failed meaning his gear degraded. Now I'm thinking to myself, could Paul's gear have degraded in the crotch? And is that why those glands absorbed these toxins? I go down the basement. I I pull open Paul's gear. I shine a flashlight through. I see these dime quarter nickel sized pieces of fabric missing. And I'm like, holy crap. So it looks like an oven mitt. Picture your oven mitt looks fine on both sides, but there's no fibers inside. Mm-hmm. So it's like worn you've got nothing to protect you. Yep. Exactly. Now I'm like, holy crap. I start emailing everybody, scientists, environmentalists. I email Erin Brockovich. I yeah. said to Sarah, I was like, this is like what, it's like those stories. It reminded me of that and also... um 
a civil action, which yes. is the one like that was in Ashland. Because when you said the common denominator, I'm thinking it's like, well, are all these people drinking this water? Yes. Right. And it's so right. funny too. She yeah. said that. And then today I was reading about your story and it said you and Aaron Brockwich yeah. actually worked together. And I was like, well, that does make sense. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so she was the first one to say that it, Diane, does it have PFOA or PFOS? And I had no idea what that meant, but I saw that that England was trying to transition away from this. And there's probably a reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Because there's so much farther ahead in legislation than we are here um, in standards and whatnot. At any event, that's when the can of worms opened and we tried to get information from the labor union. And being so naive, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to tell my husband's labor union they're going to do everything and make this. You know, I'll I'll start a Facebook page and um, name it this wildly long, ridiculous thing. Your turnout guarantee PFOA. <laughs> and then I'll be done with this in two weeks because now I've told the labor union. Right. They mm-hmm. all came to the Christmas party. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That did not happen. And what we learned, or I came to learn over time, was that there was a real concerted effort to look like they were on board, but to not be on board. Because the labor union then was under the presidency of Harold Schaeberger, who was really sleeping with the enemy, was in bed with DuPont and Lion Gear, you know, taking money f- uh, for advertisement and su- sponsoring the firefighter cancer summits. But none of the, these manufacturers would look at the PFAS in turnout gear, but I did. So I, having what I attribute to a childhood of difficulty, mm-hmm. had some tenacity that came from there and it it truly did. It came from there. I had to overcome a lot of shame and, you know, growing up in the sixties with what I was growing up with. And um, that's why I liked my little, little world, you know, which is no longer so little, (laughs) but the tenacity comes from, you know, having to walk outside my house every day and knowing that the whole world, I think, knew what was going on in our home, but we couldn't talk about it because we didn't speak about it. It was the Vietnam War era, and, you know, there was a lot more happening in the world than eight watts and app where we grew up. At any event, I began reaching out to the science community, and they were very supportive, and I had purchased a set of new never-worn turnout gear, and asked if I had a scientist that was able to help me. And I was connected to Graham Peasley, who I hope you get the pleasure to speak to someday. He's, oh, he's, if if I had imagined being in college, he would be what I would hope every professor would be because he's so genuine and so ridiculously smart. I mean, he built this, contraption that takes up three rooms it's crazy and um 
Is that right? Notre Dame. Yeah. Yep. Notre Dame University. I was about to ask. <laughs> and he's so, and he's handsome. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's just wonderful. But he took us on and he took on the fire service because now once we're doing a study, well, we, he says, Diane, I'll test this first set of gear. Well, he sent me back this set of this email that shocked me, not because I could understand any of it. I couldn't understand a word of it, but because he was concerned. So it made me worried. And then he said, well, you should probably try to do a bigger study. I'm like, what? No, I'm one and done. <laughs> That's it. I'm out now. But yeah. the labor union has this. Right. But they didn't because we were already starting to see that they were colluding with DuPont, you know, and putting out statements that said nothing to worry about here. Mm -hmm. And that just infuriated me. But what would happen is I, I then contacted Kathy Crosby Bell from Last Call Foundation in Boston. Now, her son Michael was killed in the Back Bay Fire of 2014. His hose burnt through. And that's the fire that you see Tom Brady looking out on yes. his... In the neighborhood, Kathy I remember yeah. So, yeah, I knew about Kathy and I said, I know that she's, you know, if I come to her, she'll at least hear us out. So Paul and I drove to Florian Hall. Then we were still living in Paxton. Mm -hmm. She couldn't have been more precious to us. And, um, you know, she I my son is a Marine. I have a son that's a Marine. And um, her son, Michael, was a Marine. And I brought her an Alex and Annie bracelet that said, Mom of Marine. And we shared a very special moment because she said, oh, Diane, she said, this is, she said, I wanted to put Michael's bracelet away because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. And it's worn so thin mm -hmm. and she said this is kind of like a good omen you bringing me this because Michael had gotten her a mom of marine bracelet oh, wow. at any event Kathy funded our study Graham Peasley's worked for free for years and we had this underground operation going of firefighters from California to Salem Massachusetts to Chicago Illinois all sending Graham Peasley turnout gear 30 sets of turnout gear we were able to produce. And in 2020, he released the study that the institutions, the NFPA should have done, the IAFF should have done, but nobody did. Is the reason you think that those groups not doing those studies, do you think it's purely like colluding with um, or is it also, is there just some like in other institutional issues there, do you think? Or is it really just like because they're kind of in bed with like DuPont? Yes, because it's the playbook from the tobacco industry mm -hmm. and from Monsanto. Yeah, like Philip Morris, like, oh. Um, it's exactly that. Yeah, so like, I'll oh, say getting cancer. Oh, no. Yes, oh. you're right, Molly. Our safety institution 
is the National Fire Protection Association. They're located in Quincy, Mass. But every purchase order written for, you know, the AFFF, that's the PFAS that you hear about water now, dark waters. What is the name of the 2020 study? So our study is called, oh my God, can you believe I don't even have it? Here, wait a minute. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't even believe it. I'll send it to you. Yes, yes. But the um, at, at any event, so as soon as that study came out, then the you know the manufacturers, the manufacturers Dupont and 3M and Lion Gear mm-hmm. and Globe and Gore, they're voting members of the standards committee mm-hmm. for turnout gear. So they're very heavy-handed in a institution that says mm-hmm. it's neutral. It's far from neutral. Yeah, far from neutral, and so. What we learned is while that was happening in the NFPA, the labor union then under Harold Schaefberger was also colluding with Lion Gear. Um, if you follow my social media, I produced today some uh, something that said that Lion Gear was meeting with Harold Schaefberger in the IAFF on how to mess with Diane Cotter. So I don't care about that. What I care about is that Lion Gear has a Department of Defense contract that's worth $111 million per year, in addition to every big city, you know, that, you know, buys their turnout gear from them. So they're colluding to give junk science to uh, the fire service. And that's what we saw happening. We saw that Lion Gear produced its own study by Exponent. So Exponent is a consulting firm. It's not a peer-reviewed study. Mm-hmm. It's um, Exponent produced the Deflate Gate study. Remember Deflate Gate? So it is. It's so, like it's so junk it, science. Yeah, yeah it's, it's junk like, science. Yeah. And it's it's like the methodology is going to be there because they're going to kind of push an agenda, make it what they will. They're going to push their agenda. And that's what they did. So, boy, the IAFF was very involved with that. Now, I think what people didn't realize is my reach into the fire service discreetly very discreetly because my days consist of people messaging me and me delivering information. One of those parties that I delivered a lot of information to was Ed Kelly. And Ed Kelly is the new general president of the IAFF. And we could not have a better ally. We could not have a bigger hero. We could not have someone more dedicated to this issue. And in six months, he's done more than the Schaefberger administration did in the IAFF on this for the last five years. So Ed Kelly um, ran on a platform of not being in bed with manufacturers, Mm -hmm. of being transparent. And then we also were aligned with firefighters from San Francisco to Fall River and Nantucket that wanted to strip 
the corporations from the labor union. And that's what happened. It's really unbelievable Mm -hmm. what has transpired. Because if the labor unions are supposed to protect their laborers, and if the people who are the leadership of that have decided to just like throw that out the window, right, then what's the point? Like you trust the union to fight for you. And so the actual workers, the men doing, or the men and women doing the work, Right. Fighting fires or and you know, exactly all, all the things that fire firefighters do. Like they're left in the dust. It's so true, Molly, because like Paul says, the first time that somebody wants to know about their gear, they go right to their union yeah, and course. say, you know, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And you know, what's what I, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but the um the Paul keeps a list of firefighters names and it didn't express it in the in the article but those Paul's up to like 36 names now but 32 of them are firefighters from Worcester and I can remember sitting in Webster Square um, community room maybe two years ago we were making the braids for the 20th anniversary of December 3rd And I was sitting at one of those eight foot long tables and every girl sitting next to me, they were asking about Paul. I said, well, he had prostate, he had prostate cancer. Every wife said mine too. Now these are women in their mid thirties to their mid sixties. I mean, like you said, the common denominator. Now we've mentioned December 3rd a few times and most of our listenership is local, but I think it bears mentioning that six firefighters were lost then, and we've seen a number of firefighters die in the line of duty since then. Yes. What is it about Worcester's housing stock that makes it susceptible to these really tragic events for firefighters? Well, we're aware, you know, Paul and I live in Ringe, New Hampshire now. We we actually had to downsize after he left the the fire department because everything changes mm-hmm. financially and we're aware of the publication of the report that came out that was very critical of the Worcester fire department mm-hmm. and Paul said that any retired guy could have written that report because staffing has always been an issue when you have firefighters that you have three to a truck and one one firefighter has to stay with the truck mm-hmm. you know i would think to a lay person that sounds dangerous definitely absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah that doesn't seem like enough people right and combine that with these three deckers all over the city that are probably not up to code and are very old yep. and the winters with nefarious heating yes. practices it's just a recipe yes. for disaster yeah. absolutely Absolutely. And in a couple of weeks, I've run the Firefighter 6K a million times, I feel like, but they're doing it in the fall this year because of COVID, it got delayed. And I always see um, firefighters like running in their gear and little kids wearing the gear. And I think, oh, it's Uh, so cute. But now I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) See, up until our study came out, there truly was no emphasis for firefighters, other than, you know, our, our last call foundation group screaming, 
please don't wear the gear while you're exercising. Don't wrap the babies in the gear and take the pictures. We then got the support of the biggest media in the fire services, fire engineering. So now we have such a support team of all these folks that elevate this issue with us. And everybody's on board from the editor-in-chief of fire engineering, Bobby Halton, who says, don't run with the gear, you know, only use it out of fire until the IAFF, which they have to do because of the resolutions that were passed in January of 2021, until the IAFF comes out with the protocols for these policies within the fire service, we are left with individual departments advising what they feel are best practices, which is what we see from San Francisco to Chicago to Nantucket and Texas and everywhere in between. The word is spreading. However, when you see an article like ours in Men's Health, if people don't take the time to read it, what they're thinking is, oh, they're talking about products of combustion. Of course, every firefighter needs to wash their gear. Mm -hmm. Unless we elevate this issue on a national level, the message will not reach the 1.3 million firefighters, because it's not just your career firefighters in the city of Worcester. It's our volunteer firefighters in all of our towns. It's our Department of Defense firefighters. So we do work a lot with our um, environmental working group, and we've been very blessed to have them make this a national platform Mm -hmm. and a national discussion. And they often have our firefighters that work with us to to make this a discussion. We're now looking at legislation. Our um, most recent action was in the reconciliation bill, and that is to get $80 million into the hands of cities and towns so that when the PFAS free gear does become available, any city or town that is qualified would be able to reach out for those funds. Yeah. You know, we have a, a dear friend in Fall River, Jason Burns, who says, even when the gear is PFAS free, we'll never get it because Fall River can't afford it. Right. So think about that. If you're a firefighter and you have to put on this gear saturated, saturated in this chemical, knowing there's no end in sight for you, My mind can't comprehend that because I think about like a doctor or a nurse in whites that uh, or scrubs in their gear may have minimal amounts of this. A firefighter, their gear is so saturated in this that 10-year-old gear still meets the NFPA standards for new gear for water resistance. Wow. Um, have you been able to connect at all? I'm just thinking of the Worcester connection. Have you connected all with like the Dennis Leary Foundation? I, in fact, I called them today. Yeah. That's so funny. I just was thinking, I was like, oh, I was like, I used to watch Rescue Me. I've communicated with the Leary Foundation yeah. for two years. And they did take this under advisement under their board of directors. Mm-hmm. And two years ago, 
I think it was two years ago, or 21. So it was either 19 or 20. Yep. Maybe it was 20, I don't know, one or two years ago. They did say that their board of directors did review my, I sent them a box like this thick, full of material. And I sent them braids, my last dozen braids from 1999, I sent them. And I said, you know, you're from Worcester, Dennis. Yeah. You know, I did everything I could. Yeah. And he, I mean, in, you know, outside of all that, he's just been so vocal and yeah. like such a vocal advocate. You would think that there would be interest there. So what he said, what they said, the answer that I received was that they had taken it to their board of directors and voted not to participate at this time because there were others still waiting for more data. Now, while they didn't tell me who that was, I thought, oh, they must have called the IAFF, (laughs) who was under Shadeberger at that time. And if they had called... Well, Ed Kelly's in office and yep. Kelly, I'm sure would have said, oh my God, yeah, you want to, you want to be part of this. I was wondering too, like, is there any connection to those corporations within their board or even just like sponsoring events? Like, I mean, if they're sponsoring other types I looked, of stuff, yeah. I looked, Molly, I couldn't find any because that's the first thing that I thought of too, yeah. because I'm been, yeah. very, yeah, I, I'm very thorough. I've had to learn to be very thorough. But Larry Firefighter Foundation is near and dear to us. Yep. Yeah. And I don't want to crucify them, although I did slap them around a little bit on social media. It's <laughs> just a their own time. Yes. But also, it sounds like even their reaction is just a testament to how fearless you are. There are so many people that are afraid to stand up and speak out, mm-hmm. and you're not afraid. Or if you are, it doesn't show. Right. And we need I'm more not- people like you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm, I'm not afraid anymore because um, I think I hit a couple of milestones along the way where I really just said, unfuck yourself. <laughs> you know, I just really got to the point. And that was, that was when I had learned that the Ma- president of Massachusetts firefighters union called me and said they'd never no longer be associated with me and that was so painful I got to tell you that was so painful but I kept I email a lot of material and they were on my list and I kept emailing it Mm -hmm. and then we weren't you know we went to give a statement that we weren't invited to but we went anyways and um it was on the ride home that I was told that the president of the PFFM told Massachusetts people not to associate with us. And at that moment, I went ballistic and I was savage in my attacks on social media. And I relayed a lot of information that had been given to me that I'm sure caused people to shit themselves. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now you've got a national platform. That Men's Health magazine I mean, the circulation is huge. And so I'm so excited to see where this all goes and to continue to help you tell your story. Absolutely. We would love nothing more than for Worcester to become engaged in this. You have to ask yourself if this has gone on for so long, where's Worcester been? Yeah. And I think that, I think that even not just in 
Worcester proper, but Worcester County, I think we do have, because of all the tragedies that have like befallen Worcester firefighters, I do think that we have a connection. You do. You know, right? Like you I do. think that we, I think that people think of our firefighters often just in the yes. sense of like our community um, and not yes. just in the tragedies, but then in what the community has brought after those tragedies to, to, you know, to hold one another up. You're right, and Molly, so, because it's in, in the fire community, it is not just Worcester and Worcester doesn't just elevate Worcester. Like we always see the fire communities elevate each other and that's as it should be. Yeah. And I grew up in Auburn. And so all the Brothertons, I am, um, I didn't like go to the same, I was like in, in the middle of some of them, like I wasn't the same age, but like <laughs> it was such a huge thing just, you know, in the small town next door. And, you know, Auburn was so prevalent in the December 3rd, I yeah. mean, to this day, you know, and, and that's really, I think when you think of what happened with Worcester back in December of 99, it was our mutual aid that came together, yep. that elevated so much. So I can't stress enough how much we still hold the door open for Worcester to join our effort, but I can't pull you anymore. Yeah. You have to find your own way. Well, we'll do our part. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not trying to bitch slap <laughs> 1009, yeah. or we're not trying to fuck with the city of Worcester. Trust me, we're not. Now it's big enough where you can be like, okay, so yeah. now that we have yes. established credibility, evidence, this, yeah. absolutely. Um, I yeah. have one more question. It, oh, sorry, that I was thinking yeah. about earlier, just about Doctor Peasley. That's yes. name, right. Did he have? I just was curious because I was thinking about his involvement. Did he have like a specific buy-in? Like, was there something that drew him? Or was it simply like the science? Was he just like... Yes. So I had a group of 12 or 13 scientists that I was constantly emailing because I tried to find anybody that had a peer-reviewed paper that was working with firefighters. And there was with this one firefighter, I think her name was one scientist, Myrto Petraeus, and she worked for the CDC. And then there was Jeff Burgess from University of Arizona. And they said, well, Diane, you need the right person to test this. Right. And you might try Graham Peasley. So Graham Peasley, he can test for PFAS because of this contraption of a machine that he made that takes up three rooms that's like something out of a science fiction movie. He built it by hand. It's crazy. That is crazy. Was it, and so that was just, it just happened to be like his area of interest and it was like a match made in yes. heaven. That's, that is yes. fascinating. Like even that alone is crazy. Just like and he happened then, to be the guy. And then Notre Dame had NBC film a two-minute commercial about us. Wow. Yeah, yeah, right. It's finally, I think, but I think now after, like within the past couple of years, it must feel like a tipping point, right? Where you feel like it's like, okay, this is happening. I, you know, it's, I wish, I think I'm so tunnel vision in that we must have an investigation the scale of the 9-11 commission report mm -hmm. into who knew what and when they knew it. We are owed that. And that's 
when that happens, then I'll feel like my job is done. Well, thank you. I think that's the perfect spot to end. Um, but I look forward to going back through this interview and re-listening and taking notes. Yeah. And, uh, I hope I can email you with any questions that I might have. Of course you can. And anything you need, absolutely. Could you send us a few 100%. photos that you think would be appropriate? Absolutely. We'd love one of you, especially. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, there's only, there's one recent one. I just, I'm, I'm not the photogenic one. <laughs> I used to be back in the eighties, but not anymore. <laughs> but, d- so. but don't forget, even if you're not like letting out that breath of relief, like give yourself a little break for the work you have done. You I know? have to Molly. Yeah. It's so true. You, do. you know, David Ferry, when I read what he, cause I didn't get to see what David wrote, but he said, she's so caught up in it. She doesn't get it. And I'm like, Take I think it, that's true. Take some time, you know? Yeah, it's true. And I'm sure that, I mean, the, the countless people that either you have already helped or like thinking about the future, right? Would say. Yeah. And I walked take away from that piece thinking like, wow, clearly, you know, Paul is a hero, but oh my God, what a tenacious woman. And yeah. It's a hero Thank and an you. icon. None of both this, ways. Yeah, none <laughs> of this would have come to light if it weren't for your bravery. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. I I want you to know, though, I think that there is a lot of um, God incidences in this. Truly, that's how I've always felt that way, that it was much bigger than than this person here sure. that because I, I've always felt like uh, how could someone like me have this type of um, connections to these people who I should have no business having any connection to, you know, Graham Peasley, Rob Ballot. These are the type of people that are in our, in our world. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And doors keep opening up and, just the right people keep falling in. And I don't mean by these big icons like Rob Ballot or Graham Peasley or Ken Cook. I mean by like the firefighters like um, Jason Burns and Ed Kelly and Matt Alba and Sean Mitchell and Jim Bernica. These are firefighters that come to us. So divine intervention. Cosmic miracle, yeah. It's the work that you're putting in though too, yeah, you know? Yeah, you're attracting these people they trust you. We do have an army now. I spent a <laughs> A lot of time boxing, and now now the the name is the name is known. Now I get a Great. kick out of them yeah. saying they don't even say my last name anymore. Diane, Diane. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's sweet. That's yeah. Great. Well, thank so, you so much, and have yes, a wonderful day. Thank you, um, we thank really you, ladies. Your vulnerability and your honesty, and thank you for reaching out. Thank you. Yeah, because I re- I saw even the initial email, and I said, "What is this?" And I clicked, and yeah. we both were like, "Whoa!" Like, I was like, "Why hasn't this been circulated yeah. more around <laughs> yes. Worcester?" Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, I sent it to City Hall today. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to see City Hall say yeah. something. Yeah. We'll see if they yeah. do. If they do, they do. We'd be glad. We'd yep. be glad if they did. Somewhere down We'd the line, maybe. We'd be glad if maybe. they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, ladies. Thank what you. a pleasure Thank to you. meet you. I hope I get to meet you in person soon. I hope yes. so, too. <laughs> Bye, Diane. That was amazing. Wow. Holy Aaron Rockovich, man.